we decided to make it 80 degrees in here to get like the full summer experience. No, I'm just kidding. We were about 30 minutes from calling uh, an audible last week and going to the city for church because there was a transformer that blew in our parking lot, which killed all of our power. We got the power on, but what we didn't know is that like all the coils on our, uh, our AC unit froze. So we're working on it. So thank you for bearing with me. I understand I am as sweaty as any of you are. So I'm going to cruise through this. We good? We locked in? All right. That's the trade-off. I'll go fast, but you have to pay attention, okay? Hey, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Ben France. I, I have the privilege of serving uh, as our ministries pastor here at Vintage Church. And, man, I, uh, I'm excited to see some new faces. Jen Sen, we're glad you're here. First Baptist Spartanburg, we're glad you're here. First time guest, we're so glad that you are here. Man, we love guests at Vintage Church. We're a new church. We're a growing church. And now's a really, really great time to jump on the vintage train. So we're, we're pumped that you've joined us. But... Man, we uh, recently did a series in, in Nehemiah. Um, we were in Acts for a while. We jumped into Nehemiah. And at the end of that series, if you're, if you're joining us recently, uh, we announced that we as a leadership team um, have felt that it is very clear from the Lord that he wants us to go and be at both locations the way that Vintage was always supposed to be. If you're new with us, um, we have a beautiful, beautiful property up on the Mount Washington Overlook. Um, and through COVID and some transition time, we all kind of came here and we're really in a phase where we are, we are building what it looks like to be the future of Vintage Church. And so I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been praying about that a lot. Man, I've been I've been working a lot behind the scenes. I'm really excited to talk to some of our, our West leadership team that, that's here after the service. I'm a systems guy. I like systems. I like processes. I like, I like data. I like, um, yeah, amen and amen. Uh, I, I, Rob and, and Jake have all the vision and creativity in the world, and God bless them. My job is to make that actually materialize. And so I've been thinking about that, and really this whole time I've been thinking, like, man, that's how we're going to grow. That's how we're going to grow. That's how we're going to see um, all that God has called us to be as a church is, is by all this stuff that I'm doing in the back. And, and really, that's just not true. That's just not true. That, that's false. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that I was wrong. Might be the only time you ever hear me say that, but I'll say it right now. So I was wrong. Man, uh, it's not a, a good assimilation process or first-time guest experience or V-Kids check-in process that's going to make this be all that God wants it to be. I mean, and I, it's not the vision side either. It's not the big events. If you've been tracking the church world, man, that's a thing of the past. It's not big events. It's not killer social media. It's not, it's not any of that stuff either. Truthfully, what, what I believe is going to grow the body that is vintage church, yes, in number, but also spiritually, in our giftings, in our service, in our worship. And I believe it's going to be God's power at work through God's people inviting others into God's family. That's what I believe it's going to be. It's going to be you and me through the power of the Holy Spirit extending the same invitation that we're going to see in the scriptures today. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. This morning, I want, I want to talk about the power of an invitation. Hands up if you've ever been invited anywhere in your entire life. And to everybody in the room, we get invited to, uh, what, parties, summertime, some barbecues. We get invited to, my second thing was cookouts, and I just took that. Parties, cookouts, coffee with a friend. You get invited into meetings at work, whether you like it or not. Some of us get invited on dates, and that is a good thing. God bless you. I mean, we're invited to things all the time, but 
Would anyone else like to admit, like, there's, there's a little piece of all of us that maybe is, like, a little, like, a little introverted? Even if you're the most, like, extroverted person in the whole wide world, I, I get that way, too. Um, but I think we can all agree that there's a part of us that, that loves the idea of being invited to something. We love the idea of it, but when push comes to shove, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, a couple of days before you remember it, and then the day before you remember it, and then the day of you remember it, and you're like, ooh, like, it means I gotta put real clothes on, and I gotta be social, I gotta interact with people. Or maybe some of you are like me in the sense, like, sometimes you're invited somewhere, and in the moment you're like, yeah, totally, man, that sounds great. And in the back of your mind, I'm like, I'm totally canceling as soon as I get in the car. My go-to, let me check my calendar. That doesn't mean anything. Man, if you're like that, I'm with you. Last night I was at one of my, one of my best friend's birthday parties, and it was one of those, those invites. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Man, I love you. I'll be there for you. And um, I went for a reason that we'll talk about, but it was one of those parties where you show up, and you're like, oh, and there's that guy from high school that I haven't seen in forever. And here's that guy from like that band that I was in that I haven't talked to in forever. And it was a, it was a night full of that. But Hey, what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. Grab your phone, grab your Bible, open to John chapter 1. And while you're, while you're doing that, I want to uh, talk to you about an invitation that, that changed my life. Invitation that changed my life forever. So dial it back. I'll be, I'll be 28 at the end of uh, this, this week, actually. Um, thank you, thank you. Can't wait. Closer to 30 than I've ever been. Um, <laughs> be 20 at the end of the week. So dial it back to 2012 think. Um, I had a girlfriend. I was a junior in high school. I had a girlfriend. Um, I was probably a very immature, terrible boyfriend, but I did have a girlfriend, and she said, hey, Ben, I want, you to, um, I want you to come to the soccer game with me. And at the time, I hated soccer. I'm a changed man since then. I'm like, wake up at 6 a.m. on Saturdays to watch West Ham United run the Premier League, um, go Hammers. But I wasn't at the time. I thought soccer was the worst thing. I was like, you can tie. It's boring. You can't tackle anyone. You can't use your hands. Like, what, what's the point? But being the good boyfriend that I was, I was like, fine. Like, I'll, I'll go. So um, it's like fall. I grab my stuff. We go pick her up, drive her, drive her to the thing. She's like, it's going to be great. Like, you're going to enjoy it. The, the boys' team is good. You'll meet some of my friends. I'm like, oh, great. Soccer and meeting people I don't know. Fantastic. Um, but I go anyways, and I put a smile on, and so we're like, I'm going to start down here. So guy, we walk up, right? And then there's like the bleachers, because it's like a high school stadium. You're walking, you see everyone. Like, we see your friends. I walk up. You know, I go, sit down, and hi, this is so-and-so. This is so-and-so. This is so-and-so. And this is my friend Lauren. I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And that was it. That was it. Lauren was cool. Lauren was kind of cute. But I was a taken man. I'm loyal. Fast forward to the winter a few months later. It's snowing. My girlfriend at the time has a good sledding hill. She's like, hey, I want to invite you. Uh, come, come, to the, come to my house. We're going to go sledding. And I'm like, okay, great. So we get in. She's like, I'm going to invite some, some people. Great. And what that meant was like my buddy Ryan, and she invited this friend Lauren. So Lauren and I, not really, like we were, we were like, I was like friends because my girlfriend was friends with her kind of deal. Um, and I distinctly remember this moment where I'm like, you guys see me? You guys see me over here? I'm like sitting down like on my like sledding tube and like I look over here and there's my girlfriend and I look over here and there's this girl named Lauren and then like I look forward down the hill and I'm like, I have a huge problem on my hands. 
And so like two months later, me and that girl break up, but um, a few, you know, let's, let's fast forward 10 years now. Lauren and I have been together for 10 years, married for five, have two kids. It worked out really, really well. She's sitting right there and our kids are in the back. There's our wonderful, beautiful family and the pineapple mascot. Man, I, I say all that um, for a reason. It's this, my life drastically changed. Drastically changed forever. Like the entire trajectory of my life changed because someone invited me to come and see a soccer game. I had no idea at the moment, didn't know the implications of it, but that's the truth. My whole life changed in that moment. I just didn't know it yet. I mean, what I want to show you in the scriptures is how that same invitation to come, just come check this out, how it can change your life, how it can change your family's lives, how it can change your friends' lives forever. Cool? You with me? John chapter 1. I'm going to give you some quick context, quick rundown of how we <clears throat> get to the passage we're in today. Um, so if you're familiar, there's a bunch of Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. The first three are different than John. If you've never really read your Bible before, you're new to this whole Christianity thing, man, John's a great place to start. But what makes John a little bit different in the beginning is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have these moments where like, there's like the Christmas story, right, where, where Jesus is born and he's announced. And they tell a little bit about his, just like a quick, quick minute about his childhood growing up and his parents and um, and then it kind of gets to his adulthood where he's sent into the wilderness to be tempted and preparing him for his ministry. And John kind of skips all that and gets like right to the part where Jesus comes on the scene as an adult ready to start his public ministry. And the book opens out with this beautiful picture of, of Jesus being, being the word incarnate. And then it kind of goes to his cousin whose name is John. And John is different. John's a wild man. John, like, lived in the wilderness, ate bugs, wore, like, camel's hair. It's kind of his thing. It's like, John reminds me of, like, a guy that, like, Kanye would hang out with. Like, you're wild, but I'm here for it. Um, and John's whole thing was he was a minister. And, and his whole ministry was to prepare people for the Messiah, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And one day it finally happens. And in John 1, there, there's this moment where John proclaims Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And he says, it's one of those beautiful lines in all of Scripture. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What an intro. I mean, that, and that brings us to our text today. So before we jump right in, i got one more thing. I'm just going to tell you where we're headed. This is an evangelism message. I'm not going to hide it. There's not going to be this thing at the end where like hooks you and you're like, oh, wow, this is what we've talked about the whole time. This is an evangelism message. And I think it's really important for us to be crystal clear on what that is before we go forward. So evangelism, in its simplest terms, is, it's simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is opening our mouths or in 2022 texting. It is communicating Jesus Christ, the risen Lord who died on the cross for your sins. That's evangelism. Man, maybe, maybe some of you grew up hearing things like preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. As your pastor, I'm here to tell you to roll that up and throw it out because that's not true. St. Francis of Assisi, who's attributed to that quote, didn't actually ever say that. No, actions are good. Actions are great. Actions can be godly. It is absolutely a good, God-honoring thing to live the way that God has called you to live. But that's different than evangelism. Evangelism is only evangelism when your mouth is opened or your fingers are texting or you're writing snail mail if that's what you're into, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
And what we're going to see this morning, it's three different times where someone proclaims Jesus as Savior. But what I really want us to focus on is what comes after. See, every time we're going to see it here, what happens is, is we're going to see that each time someone, someone witnesses, someone opens their mouth, someone proclaims Jesus as Lord, it's followed up with an invitation for that person to come and experience him for themselves. To make it super clear, write this down if you're a note taker. Proclamation is good. It's great. You can even say proclamation is great. But proclamation plus invitation is better. Proclamation is good. But proclamation plus invitation is better. If you don't believe me, we're going to see Jesus do it, and we're going to see some of the biggest names in Scripture do it here too. This message is called, Come and See, the Power of an Invitation. So if you've got your Bible open to John chapter 1, you can start, look at verse 35. It says this, And the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as they walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples say to this, uh, or say to him, or hear him say this rather, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following him and, say, and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you'll see. So here, here, here's the picture. John the Baptist, he's standing with some of his disciples. A disciple was a follower, a, a student of someone else. And so John had, John had some followers and he's proclaiming Jesus as Lord in the two guys at some point. How I like to imagine in my head are John's two disciples like have a moment like I did on the sledding hill. And they're like, thanks, John. This is the real deal, though. And John was good with that because John's whole ministry was preparing people for the coming of Jesus. So these two guys, they see Jesus and they walk up to him. And did you see what Jesus answered? See, so Jesus starts walking, and eventually those guys, you know, I would, like, imagine that Jesus is, like, headed home, and he just sees these two guys kind of following, and, like, the crowd kind of falls away, and then there's these two guys, and he's walking down the street longer, and then it's, like, just these two guys, and then he turns around, and he's like, um, what are you looking for? And they ask, where are you staying? It's kind of a weird thing to ask. Like, hey, what are you seeking? Where are you staying? But nonetheless, do you see how Jesus, see how Jesus responds? Just come and you'll see. That's the invitation. That's the invitation that we're talking about this morning. It's a, it's a short phrase with a life-changing impact. It's an invitation not just to take the word, our, like our word about who Jesus is, but to come check out what he's really about for themselves. See, when we evangelize, we want to be Christians that not only tell others about who Jesus is, but we want to be Christians that follow it up with an invitation for them to experience Jesus for themselves. Because proclamation is good, but proclamation Plus, an invitation is better. John proclaimed. Jesus followed it up with the invitation. He says, come stay with me. Come get to know me. Come be in a relationship with me. Come get to know and experience for yourself what I'm all about. Man, in the face value, this seems like no big deal, right? If you're reading it, if you've been in your Bible before, you, you may have read that. And you're like, yeah, it's just Jesus doing what Jesus does, right? His whole life is that way. But the truth is, is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Which means Jesus got tired on earth. And Jesus had wants and desires on earth too. He never sinned, but he felt the things that we do. And I want to point you to a very specific detail at the end of verse 39. Did you see, it, it says that it happened in about the 10th hour. All of this was going on in about, about the 10th hour. In our time, that's like 4 p.m. So imagine it's like 4 p.m. on a Monday night. 
right? Monday evening. Think about where you're at. Think about what you're doing. If you're a college student, man, maybe you finished up classes, you're about to go get some dinner, your kind of responsibilities are done for the day, maybe minus some homework, but man, it's me time. Maybe you're getting, you know, if you're working, if you're a working man or lady like myself, you're looking at the clock and you're saying, oh, one more hour, okay, I can make it. One more. Let's finish it up. Do whatever it is that people who have normal jobs, I don't have a normal job, do at four o'clock, but the point being is that you've exerted yourself. You've accomplished most of your tasks for the day. If it's a Monday night in the fall, like this instance, I'm getting ready to go home, shut my brain off, be dad for a little bit, and watch the Steelers or whatever Monday night game is happening. That's not what Jesus does. That's not how Jesus reacts. Man, I don't know what Jesus had planned that night, but whatever it was, he set it aside to invite these guys to get to know him. And what I want us to understand about that is this invitation to come and see. It's an invitation with a sacrifice. I don't know about you, but it's never once in my entire life, and maybe this is just me, where the opportunity has arisen for me to reach someone for Jesus, and it's been at like a super convenient time. Never. I don't know why it's that way, but that's just my experience. Maybe, maybe yours is different, but man, when these two guys asked Jesus where he was staying, he could have answered in a million different ways. Man, I'm gassed. I'm tired. I got to rest. Sorry. Actually, I, I've got some plans. It's, it's been a long day, man. G- g- give, me, give me some space. You know, it's been a, it's been a tough season. I need you to focus on, on me for a little bit. Or, hey, hey, what's your number? Maybe, maybe we can get coffee sometime. <laughs> I'll check my calendar. But he doesn't. Jesus tells them to come and see. See, Jesus knew that by inviting these guys into a place where they would come and experience him and get to know him, that the trajectory of their lives would change forever. And Jesus was willing to make that sacrifice to see that happen. So my question for you is, are you willing to make the same sacrifice? Man, am I willing to make the same sacrifice? In those moments where the Spirit prompts you and you see that person, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, that, that feeling of like, oh man, I, I got to reach that person, my, my friend, my, my family, here's an opportunity. Do you seize it? Do you set aside your feeling? Do you set aside your plans? Do you sacrifice your comfort, your routine? Man, some of you have made that sacrifice, and there are people here in this room who know Jesus because God chose to use that invitation. And man, if that's you, then praise God. Praise God for you. Praise God for how he's worked through you. It's not easy. Man, being a witness for Jesus verbally is hard enough, but following it up with an invitation is even harder. But hear me when I say this. It's difficult. I'm not going to set that aside. But it's always worth it. Every time. There isn't a single time where you have planted a seed for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that be a bad thing. Maybe you feel like, oh, I've really, I've really blown it a few times. I've came on too strong. I've, I, I've, you know, I didn't say the right words. I didn't, I didn't nail the little like five gospel words on the napkin. I forgot one of them. Guess what? God can still use it and God has used it. You might not see the fruit of it. Maybe not now, maybe not ever, but Anytime the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out, it does not return void. Man, it's always worth it. We're going to see how the invitation that Jesus extended works out right now. Verse 40. It says, one of the two who had seen, heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So one of those two guys that Jesus invites to come in and spend some time with him turns out to be Andrew. 
And that Andrew is Jesus' first disciple. A simple invitation extended to come and see what Jesus is all about changed the course of Andrew's life forever. He went from, in a moment, from being a stranger to Jesus to being the first of his inner circle. He went from fishing with friends to walking with Jesus. He went from being a a nobody in a small town outside Jerusalem to record it in the history of God's word as one of his disciples. Went from fishing with friends to walking with Jesus, from making a living for himself to giving his life up for the sake of Christ, all because Jesus sacrificed his night because he knew Andrew would get to experience him. Man, think about, think about the places in your life that you experienced Jesus throughout the week. You could probably make a list of them. I made some for you. Devotions, prayer, you know, your, your daily disciplines at home. Maybe some of you have a family who help you grow deeper in Christ. Relationships and conversations with other believers. For some of you, it's the music that you listen to, your Bible study. For some of us, it's camps or conferences, podcasts, when you're serving at your V group. And of course, right here, Sunday morning at Vintage Church. All of these are areas where you can experience Jesus. And think about it for a second. How, how could God work in the lives of the people who don't know him around you if you just invited them into those places? I mean, how could God use you if you were willing to open your mouth and tell someone about him and say, hey, come, come experience him for yourself? Man, what if, what if that dinner party that you host once a month with your buddies turned into an invitation to sit with you here on a Sunday morning? What if that conversation turned into church and lunch afterwards? Some commonality, right? Man, what, how different would your witness for Christ look if the worship song you put on in the car while you're with your buddy turned into an invite to your V group? Man, what if, what if the quick run-in with your neighbor while you're mowing this week turns into them sitting beside you here and experiencing Jesus for the first time? God used a simple invite to change Andrew's life and I believe that same invite through the power of God's spirit can change your family, your friends. There's a sacrifice involved. Jesus does. Andrew comes to know him. And man, it doesn't stop there. Let's, let's keep looking. Verse 40, it says, one of those who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, and when he found, uh, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew has this interaction with Jesus. He, he's changed, and what does he do? He goes and he finds the person closest to him. He, he goes and he finds his brother Simon, and, and Andrew finds his brother, proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, and then brings him to Jesus. Do you see it? Are you starting to see the pattern there? If you're a note taker, your second, second point is this. Come and see, and it's an invitation for your circle. We've all got circles of friends, right? Family, friends. Lauren and I are on a couple group texts with different variations of some of our, our closest friends. And it seems like a no-brainer again, right? I've got, I've got this great news, and, and now I'm going to go share it with, with my bro. But like, I would like to argue sometimes that it's the hardest people to witness to, that the hardest people to tell about Jesus are the people closest to us. It's because there's so much more on the line, right? Like, if it's, if it's some guy on, on the street, like, man, absolutely, go talk to him. But if the conversation goes south or doesn't go the way that, that you think it's going to go, I mean, you just walk away and probably forget about it in about an hour, right? You're not your family. No, they're at the dinner table with you. They're at holidays. They're at birthdays. Not your close friends. 
No, they're the people that you're with on a Friday night. They're the people watching Netflix on the couch beside you. If you play video games like me, they're in your Warzone squad. Play music, they're in my band that I kind of have and don't really have. Um, it's totally off the topic and not in my notes, but I said it anyways. Man, and once you make yourself clear of where your allegiance to Jesus lies, man, once you extend that invite, there's really no going back. And that's a terrifying and beautiful thing. Man, what if they have questions? What if they push back? Man, I've got some argumentative friends that are a lot smarter than I am. What if they, what if they like hook me into a debate? What do I do? What if it goes south? What if they think I'm weird? What if they stop responding to my texts and to my calls? What if this goes poorly? Man, if that's you, if you're thinking of those things the same way I was thinking of those things and do think of those things, I want to challenge that. Man, how, how different would that conversation look if it wasn't just words, but it was also followed up with an invite? Man, what if we first acknowledge the fact that we don't know everything? I'm your pastor. I don't, I don't know everything, but, but we still trust that the Holy Spirit will work through us when we choose to invite them to come and see. What if we took the pressure of ourselves to have all the right answers, to have all the great lines, to navigate the conversation perfectly, and we said, you know what, God, I'm going to take a step in obedience and let your spirit do its thing. Pressure's off. It focuses us. It allows us to say, you know what, God, I, I am vulnerable. I'm not perfect. I need you. Man, I've never saved anybody. No one in this room has ever saved anybody. Only God saves. Only God can save. So why do we put the pressure on ourselves to try to save somebody? It's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to proclaim his word to the nations, to our friends, to our family. And what we see here is to follow it up. Man, how different would it be if someone did push back and did ask a question that you didn't know the answer to? And instead of getting all heated and nervous and you say, you know, man, I don't know. But how about you come find out with me? change the game and God uses that let's see how God uses Andrew's invite verse 41 I gotta take a sip of water man it's hot and my throat hurts sorry verse 41 he first found his own brother Simon and said to him we found the Messiah which means Christ and he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said you're Simon son of John and you should be called Cephas which means Peter so that brother that Andrew says, you know what, you got to come check this guy out, is Peter. You grew up in the Bible like I did, you know Peter. My son's name is Peter after this guy, one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. That brother that Andrew is bold enough to invite to come and see Jesus turns out to be the guy who defends Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the guy who God uses to save 3,000 people in one message, a guy who walks on water, a guy who is so irrational that he thinks that he can outswim a boat when he sees Jesus on the shore after his resurrection, the Peter who is so full of the Spirit that when he would walk past a sick person or a lame person, someone with a disease, if his shadow touched him, that person would be healed. That Peter comes into an interaction with Jesus Christ for the first time because his brother, the person closest to him, was bold enough to say, hey, you got to come check this guy out. That guy we've been looking for, I found him. 
Here's my favorite part about that. Andrew had no idea that that's how God was going to use Peter. No idea. I think it's really interesting. Like Andrew starts as the main character in the story, but the rest of the Bible, man, highlights on Peter. Andrew had no idea. Man, I want that to encourage us. We have no idea how God, how massively God can use the people that are one invite, one experience away of God capturing their heart and making them his. We have no clue. That should excite us. Man, what if we took our thoughts and our, and our, our fears and said, you know what, God, we're, I'm going to put my fears aside and I'm actually going to fear aside and I'm going to put my faith in what you could do. What if we stopped worrying about what could happen and started focusing and setting our hearts and our mind on what God can do? How would that change us? How would that increase our boldness? Like I said, it's never bad when God's word goes out. Never once. Man, this like gets me pumped. How stronger of evangelists would we be if we stopped setting our minds on the fear involved with leading people to Jesus and we started setting our minds on how God could use that person's impact for his kingdom? So, man, I want to ask you a very brief question, super simple. Who, who's the Peter in your life? Who's the guy? As I've been talking, uh, every one of us has someone in their minds that is close to you that is far from Jesus. Here, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to stretch us a little bit in church today, all right? You good? We good? That, that was, did not instill confidence in me. Hey, we, we made you these cards. They're super simple. Made them downstairs. It's got a little, little space on it right here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 10 seconds. Write your Peter down. Write their name on this card. Who is the person that is closest to you? Maybe it's a friend, family member, a coworker, someone who lives in your, your dorm building. Who, who's the person that is closest to you that needs Jesus? And if you don't have a pen, that's okay. Write it down on your phone and then write it later. Who is it? That's not the part that's going to stretch us. Here's what I want us to do. Usually we end a message with a prayer kind of all-encompassing. I want to take 30 seconds and I want to pray for just this person. But I want us to pray corporately out loud for our person. Something happens. There's mutual, mutual edification, mutual encouragement when we worship corporately and when we pray corporately. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count down three, two, one. And we're going to pray for these people. My, my person is, my, my Peter is my, my brother Micah. Jake and I, if you, if you know Pastor Jake, we're, we're brothers. We have a young, our youngest brother's name is Micah. He's, he's as far from the Lord as you can get. He's the person closest to me that needs Jesus. So I'm going to write his name down, the same as you're going to write your name, your name down. I'm going to count down three, two, one, and we're, we're going to pray out loud for those people. Cool? Stretching our discipline today. Here we go. Three, two, one. Let's God hear our prayers. Father God, would you, God, would you save Micah? God, would you give me boldness?
God, as we hear the prayers for the lost lifted up, Lord, I think of my brother. God, I'm sure a lot of the prayers sounded the same. God, would you, would you save them? God, would you give us opportunities to plant your seed? God, would you give us opportunities to invite them in to experience you? God, we can't save anybody, but you can. Only you can. So, God, we're asking that you would do it. God, would that person in a day, a week, a month, a year, in 10 years, whatever your timing is, God, come to know you and to love you and to be a force for your kingdom. God, we believe it. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. One more. This one's going to go quick, all right? Come and see. It's an invitation for doubters. Come and see. It's not just a invite with a sacrifice. It's not just an invitation for the people closest to you. It's an invitation for doubters too. I think it's awesome that we're going to see in God's word that he gives us an example here of someone who's super responsive and someone who's got doubts. Verse 43 says this, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city, where Andrew, or the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What did Philip say to him? He said, Come and see. So the next morning Jesus wakes up. He travels to Galilee where he finds a man named Philip and he asks him to follow him, and what does Philip go do? He goes, he finds his friend named Nathaniel, and Philip again, here we go, there's the proclamation, hey, I found the guy that Moses and the law were talking about, but Nathaniel's reaction is way different than Peter's reaction. We don't really see Peter's reaction in, in the scriptures, but the rest of scripture points to it going pretty well. Nathaniel, though, his first reaction isn't, I'm in, sounds great. Are we leaving now? He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus of Nazareth? What, what good can come from Nazareth? I, uh, I gave this message at a conference a few months ago for my buddy in, in Portland, and I said Nazareth is kind of like New Jersey. Um, but we're way too close to New Jersey for me to use that, and you're from New Jersey. I apologize. Um, so... The other thing that I'm, I know like a lot about the Bible and about drums and about Star Wars and the drum thing didn't really work here. So here comes the Star Wars one. Um, Nazareth is like Tatooine. I have more notes on this bit than anything else in this message. Nazareth is like Tatooine. If you don't know, uh, Nazareth is a pretty insignificant place. It's a tiny town, about 2,000 people. And up until Jesus, nothing really significant came from Nazareth. Um, and Tatooine's like that. I have a chart, literal chart. I can show you later uh, of the comparisons. Uh, Nazareth is hot and humid and dusty, and Tatooine is a desert planet. As a matter of fact, the, the uh, Owen and, and Baru Lars, who own that moisture farm, they farm moisture there because of how humid it is. Um, nothing really important happens there until Jesus Christ. And like Tatooine, nothing really important happens until Anakin Skywalker. Um, Nazareth, Jesus, is born there, who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, his earthly father, Joseph. Jesus came from his heavenly father. And Anakin Skywalker, born of the force, no, no physical, biological dad. Riddle me that one. 
Uh, Nazareth, Jesus changes the course of history forever. Tatooine, Anakin changes the course of history forever. Um, that's it. That's the whole bit. Thank you for coming. Uh, Nathaniel hears this, that the Messiah is supposedly from this kind of place, and he doubts. He says, in what world does something good come from there? Remember, they've been looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a king-type character. They're looking for a, a strong leader, a, a warlord who's going to overthrow the Romans, not the carpenter's kid from down the street. Nathaniel responds with doubt. Man, there's some people in your life that are like Nathaniel. There's a reality that not everyone responds super well like Peter. And we all have that, some, that one person that you've got them in the back of their mind that when you talk to them and you know where I'm going with this and you're thinking already, oh man, they're going to respond with doubt. They're going to respond with pushback. They've got scars. Maybe they've been in the church before and they got hurt and now they're out. The Jesus thing was cool for them for a little bit, but they've grown and their mind is expanded beyond that. And you know as soon as I bring this thing back up where their mind's going to go and where their words are going to go and where their heart is going to go. What do we do with someone like that? How do we engage with a person like that? How do we see it in the scriptures? There's no debate. There's no back and forth recorded. It says, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come find out for yourself. Might not have all the answers. I don't know, I just met this guy yesterday. But you gotta check him out. Philip does the same thing Jesus does to Andrew and the same thing Andrew does to Peter. He extends an invitation. So my next question for you for that second card is who's the Nathaniel? Who's the guy that you've got in the back of your mind that's like, man, if, if Ben challenges me and I actually go try to tell this person about Jesus, I don't know how it's going to go. Who's the person that is furthest away? And I'm not saying that Nathaniel was necessarily like anti, but he had some doubts. Who's that person for you? Get him in your mind. Write them down. We're going to pray for that person too. Same way we just prayed for Peter. You ready? Let's pray together. Three, two, one. God, we lift up the names of those who we know that aren't far from you because they haven't had a chance or, or haven't, hasn't been explained to them or hasn't had an interaction. God, we're, we're, we're lifting up the name of those that we know are pushing back, the ones that have doubts. God, the quote-unquote more difficult people in our lives. God, I pray for my buddy Luke. Luke's the poster child for this. Knows who you are and chooses to reject. 
God, would you capture his life? God, would we see him and his girlfriend, Molly, at our city location, thriving in a relationship with you? God, I believe it. I believe that you can. And I'm God, I'm praying that you will. God, I pray that same prayer for all the names that have been lifted up in here. God, would you save them? God, would you reveal yourself to them? God, would you capture their hearts in only a way that you can? God, would we see this room in a week, in a month, in a year, filled with people who know you because you chose to use an invitation that we extend? God, it's only through the power of your spirit. We can do any of this. Again, we can't save anyone, but you can. We're asking that you would. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Man, so it takes some time, but if you continue through, I'm not going to read it right now for the sake of time, but Nathaniel gets there. He experiences Jesus, and Jesus has a really great conversation with him. You should read about it, starting in verse 47. But despite the pushback, despite the doubt, instead of getting into an argument, a debate, Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see And again, because of that invitation, Nathaniel has an experience with Jesus that brings him to a place of belief. Man, I want that to encourage us this morning. Man, look at the empty seats around you. Look, we're a church plant, man. It's it's fine. We're a new church. We're a growing church. I'm excited about it. Man, look at the empty seats around you. Take a mental picture in your mind. Man, imagine the people that you wrote down sitting there experiencing Jesus. Imagine how God's going to use that. And as we build in this next season, my challenge for us is to increase our boldness, to increase our reliance, and to trust that Jesus Christ has the power to save and that the Holy Spirit is going to use our invitation, our boldness, as a tool for that moment. I'm going to pray for us. We got one more song. Band's going to come up. I didn't go that long. Could have been worse. All right, let's get out of here. Father God, we love you. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for, God, your example. God, I love that the story that we saw today, the truth that we saw today starts with your son Jesus doing it himself. And I love seeing how that invite turned into another invite, which turned into another invite, which turns into what your word says, that these men who responded with a yes to the invite to Jesus and got how you use them to turn the world upside down. Father God, we are believing in that. Father God, we are trusting in that. God, we know that you can save those people we have written down. God, as we take these cards home and we put them on our bathroom mirror, on the dash of our car, use them as bookmarks in our Bible, God, would you remind us every time we see those names to pray for the opportunity to invite that person to come and see Jesus. God, would we be bold in proclaiming his good news to them. And God, would we be bold in saying, man, I know what I just said. might sound crazy to you, but you gotta come see him. You gotta come see how he's changed my life. God, if there's someone in here that doesn't have a friend like that, who doesn't know you, God, would you you give them one? Would you place someone in their lives who don't know you so that you can use them as a tool, as an instrument? God, we're trusting in your power. God, I'm looking out and I'm believing in faith 
that the seats around us are full of people that have responded to Jesus as the result of the Spirit using our invitation. God, would you give us boldness? God, we pray for those people in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.